Hey everybody, welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King. I'm Brendan Porter. With families and day jobs, we know it's hard to find time to get out there with your camera. So Brendan and I joined together and made the commitment to go out consistently and build up our landscape and astrophotography portfolios. We live in Utah and are lucky to have so many beautiful landscapes all around us. Not only do we have five national parks right here in Utah, but we are only a day or less drive away from 30 other national parks. So we created PhotogAdventures.com, this podcast, and our YouTube channel to chronicle our adventures. Come along with us to amazing places and learn from our mistakes and our successes. We hope that you will get out there too and have a photog adventure of your own. It's episode 47, and for those of you Rambaldi fans from Alias Years, it's episode 47. We reached that, uh, it's a number that means something, but I'm not sure what in the photog adventures podcast world. Did you ever watch Alias? I've only watched a few episodes. (laughs) We're joined today with Joshua Snow. (laughs) Hey Josh, did you watch Alias? I didn't. Oh my gosh. How can you guys not watch I Alias? Didn't. I'm gonna. I'm, I don't even know what it is. Jennifer Garner is a kick butt. <laughs> like threw CIA down an ASS. She's a kick butt CIA agent. She can yeah. do anything and everything. Speaks every language, and she has these corny, awesome fights. And it's just a really good story. And Alias was written by J.J. Abrams. A lot of the stories were, and he does an awesome job. It's what put him on the map. Yeah. And so yeah. it sounds familiar, but I it just the name's not ringing a bell. Did you wa- but the the plot. The plot line sounds familiar. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. You guys, uh, Arrested Development fans? Mm-hmm. No. Oh, man. There's a part where Buster says, Alias is a show about a spy. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll move on. 47. <laughs> Absolutely stoked to be at episode 47 and have Joshua Snow with us finally. Yeah. Months ago, Josh and I said, we should definitely get an episode with you in here. And actually, I think it's timely because we're going to talk about Milky Way photography and doing the stacking software. A lot more people are stacking these days and wanting to start stacking. We're talking about Sequator and other apps like Starry Landscape Stacker or using PC options that are okay. Well, we're going to talk about specifically the Mac option that's brilliant called the Starry Landscape Stacker and get some advice from an expert, Joshua Snow. So welcome, Josh. Thanks, guys. Happy to finally get on with you guys. Yeah. So, um, Joshua, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, back some of your background, where you came from, and what got you into photography? I wish that I could say that I was one of those guys that uh, got into photography at a really young age and, you know, kind of always had a camera around, shot film you know, all that stuff, but it's just not how it happened for me. I've always been one of those guys that had a really serious passion, you know, at one, you know, one time something that consumed me and then one day it was over and then I'd have another serious passion. But, you know, it's always (laughs) one of those guys that would just devote every piece of me to doing something, whatever it was at the time. In 2012, uh, I had kind of reached the apex of my uh, kind of unhealthy obesity, if you want to call it. Uh, I was tipping the scales at about 400 pounds. You were Ooh. 400 pounds, uh, were you? Yeah, I was 398 pounds. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's uh, incredible. I'm six foot two and a half, you know, always been a big guy. I think I was a normal sized kid until I was nine or 10. And then just, you know, I'm like five inches taller than my dad. I, I'm the tallest person in my family. I was the heaviest person in my family by far. I don't know where it came from. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always active. You know, I played sports growing up a little bit, did some wrestling, played football. Always loved being outside. I always kind of had hobbies that kept me outside for the most part. But never, photography was never a thing in my mind. You know, I, I always had some creativity in when I was a young kid. I did a lot of drawing and a lot of painting, but never photography, never imagined it, never said I want to grow up and be a photographer. <laughs> in fact, I wanted to grow up in be in South America collecting bugs. That was oh. that was my big thing as a kid was I wanted to be that guy. Mm. I wanted to be Charles Darwin and <laughs> collect bugs in the rainforest. Did you have but, a specific type of bugs or a gene genre of bugs that you were really interested in? Uh, beetles, actually. Beetles. Uh, I, I really always loved really cool, you know, the Goliath beetles, Hercules beetles, things with horns and big wings <laughs> and colorful shells. And, um, that sounds awesome. You know, awesome. I've got... I've still got some remnants of those days kicking around on the rare occasions that I have time and am bored and think about it. Prediction right here, five years from now to 10 years from now, Joshua Snow will be known for macro beetle photography. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what his name is, but there is a guy out there that has been doing these exhibitions where he's taking macro panoramas of the backs of beetles. Oh, Um, I'll... I'll find a link for you guys, but he just did a show in London, but he's taking super super telephoto macro images of the shells of beetles and blowing them up like 
25, 30 wow. feet tall. And he, they're, they're the, I guess they're acclaimed as some of the most highly detailed um, macro images of our time. Wow. So he's taking the principles um, of a gigapano and doing mm. it on the back of a shell of a beetle. Of a beetle that's <laughs> wow. like millimeters in length. <laughs> wow, okay, so I, I take it he's got them dead or asleep and cold? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah they're probably yeah, dead. They're, they're yeah. dead, yeah. Because <laughs> that's yeah. going to be hard to do. Yes, yeah. it's, it's pretty amazing. That sounds stuff. awesome. I have actually gained weight since starting photography because of sitting at a computer all the time, but I'm <laughs> yeah. going to lose it soon, I hope. But you had an awesome experience recently. You shared the image. It was a place I had never heard of until you shared your shot of Reflection Canyon. It's this interesting area in Lake Powell, if you guys don't already know it, where during certain times of the early part of the season, there's water in there. And it's low enough that it gives these really cool S-curve, a really dynamic S-curve through these uh, yeah. rolling hills and rocks. I mean, we're going to pull up your image while you talk about this so Brennan and I can drool on it. But just tell us the story and the challenge of going out and getting that shot. Yeah, so Reflection Canyon uh, has definitely gotten a lot of popularity recently. I mean, it's now on the National Park's um, uh, annual pass. What do you mean it's on the it. annual pass? Like if you have a yeah. National Parks pass, you can get one to get you there? Or... No, no, no. The picture of Reflection Canyon is on oh. the National Park annual pass. I haven't seen it. What's on ours that you purchased? Brendan purchased ours, and we got it back in March. And so I wonder. Yeah, so that one that oh, one might that be the polar on, bear That still? is the one on there. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even realize yeah. that's what it was. It's definitely gotten really popular. And, you know, it was already popular. Mm. My friend Jesse from L.A. had done it twice. He, the mm. first time. The first time he did the hike, he didn't take enough water, and he was about two miles from the exit on the way out, and went down and had to be airlifted out. Really, it's that serious? Yeah. So he Dang. went back for he went back for a reprieve and did it uh, last year, and then did it again with us this year. Jesse flew out from L.A., drove all through the night to meet us down there um, in Escalante. So you take the hole in the rock road, basically almost to the hole in the rock, and we parked at the trailhead. We camped overnight. Jesse showed up at like 5 a.m. And then we started the hike at 10. 10 in the morning or 10 in the 10 evening? At, 10 in the morning. Okay. Um, How long of a hike is it? It's 10 miles one way, almost almost 10 miles Ooh. one way. Ooh. And I think it ended That's up a... taking us about seven hours to get in. <laughs> taking it easy or taking it fast? Uh, we took it easy. We took a few breaks. It was me, Lacey, and jesse and the dog we took our our dog luna with us it was mid-april we picked april because the alignment of the milky way was better i had been doing some so some go. work on been doing some work on photo pills and i kind of mm -hmm. knew where the milky way was going to be from the viewpoint yeah and originally i had planned on taking my drone so i ended up getting a new big backpack so that i could pack all my camera gear enough water enough food plus a drone mm -hmm. um, but then realized that all of Reflection Canyon in the Glen Canyon Recreation Area is a no-fly zone. Ah, that sucks so bad. Of course, of course it is. I'm kind of confused because I found uh, an Instagram guy called Lake Powell Droner. And <laughs> yeah. it's just this massive Instagram account on aerial photos and video of Lake Powell. So I'm not sure what that's all about. I could about. tell you that Drew Armstrong, a guy from our Facebook group, he has commercial use permit for mm -hmm. flying in Lake Powell area. Oh, And so okay. that guy on Instagram probably has permission, but there's no saying that he does. Who knows? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'm actually toying with the idea of getting rid of mine just because I've hardly used it. And I don't feel like going through the trouble of getting commercially licensed. So Reflection Canyon, uh, we knew that it was going to be grueling we knew that it was going to be long That's quite a uh, hike. Lacey yeah. had some Lacey had some problems with her shoes Ooh, no they have that kind of like mesh on the top and all the sand 90% oh. of the hike is in sand so oh. like sand dune desert sand where you just slogging through it or just lots of sand lots of sand I okay. mean lots of sand lots of sagebrush um, firm ground to walk on but it's dusty and sandy as ever exactly mm, yep okay. exactly so there was, you know, every every time, and you know, it's full exposure. You're just walking, completely exposed to the sky, <laughs> right, so right, the whole way. And even in April, I mean, temps were pushing like 77, 78 degrees. Um, but when you're in the beating sun, it's a nightmare. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every time we came across a wash that had a tree in it, we would stop and we would just kind of recoup and take our shoes off, empty the sand out. <laughs> yeah. and in Lacey's case, she was moleskinning and wrapping her toes because she was oh, already man. starting to get blisters. 
Um, that was on the way there. That was on the way in. Oh. Um, <laughs> I had packed nine liters of water in. That's so a pretty I heavy had, bag. I had my 80-liter backpack with six or seven Mountain House meals because we originally planned on staying two nights. And you need six or seven meals for two nights? Well, I, I, I didn't bring any dog food I, because I wanted to keep my pack light, so the dog was going to eat Mountain House meals. Mm. Okay, gotcha. Spoiled. So, yeah, <laughs> she is dog. spoiled. But I also didn't want to carry her heavy dog food in. Right. So. Yeah, they don't plan for hikers to have that yeah. food. So <laughs> I had a bunch of meals, nine liters of water. We didn't know if we were going to be able to find water when we were there. Lacey actually thought we were being clever, and we bought 500. I calculated the water level relation to um, the height of the canyon, and we bought enough paracord in a collapsible bucket so that we could potentially get water from, from the, the- Reflection Canyon the water. Well, when we got there, we realized that it's a slope all the way down, albeit a steep slope, that there was no way we were going to be able to retrieve water. You'd have to hike <laughs> down, and that wasn't worth hiking down to the water? There's no way to get to the water from Reflection Canyon. Oh, no way? Because I've heard there's some people who think of riding a boat in there and just right, hiking out. Yeah, I've heard people say the same thing, um, but they go there on a boat, and then they end up staying down at water level the whole time because they realize <laughs> they realize that there is a way up to Reflection Canyon, but it's seven miles, roughly, up the canyon to where it becomes a slot canyon, and then you climb out, and then you got to hike seven miles back to the viewpoint. Yowza. Holy cow. That's much so different than I've it's heard. Not, yeah, it's not. When you're there, you'll realize how sketchy it is being on that viewpoint and how hard it actually is to get to the viewpoint and then how hard it would be to get to the water. Hmm. So and, we start a business with segways, and we show up at the front and drive people in real quick. Yeah, I mean, I know people like uh, Michael Shanebloom has been helicoptered into Reflection Canyon. Mm. Michael or Shane, so, uh, Michael Shane, we could so afford I, to get so a helicopter I, to drop him off. So I've heard. Mm. Um, That'd be a cool video. But, you should do that. Yeah, right? <laughs> Time for us to repel in, Brendan. GoPro and zip down. <laughs> get your shot. You but, got it. Go, go, go. <laughs> <laughs> We've got uh, the rock on retainer, just in case we have any emergency issues. The first seven and a half, eight miles, you know, right now the path is really beaten down. So... You first park, it's a little bit of a scramble getting in kind of just to find the actual trail. And you kind of got to go up and down over these little, um, these Hmm. little hills. And, you know, you kind of skirt around the face of a mesa for pretty much seven or eight miles. And then you turn and you're walking across Slick Rock for two and a half miles. Wow. My friend Jesse had stumbled across a big water hole the last time he was out there. So um, we were actually looking for it and stumbled upon another uh, water hole that was big enough for us to swim in. So we stopped, we swam, the dog swam. I mean, and it was cold water too, but in just the hike in, at that point we were about eight and a half miles in. We had, between the dog and I, I had consumed nine liters of water. Oh, yeah. We stopped and we filtered some more water and, you know, we only had about a mile and a half left to get to the viewpoint. Um, So we made it. But by the time we got there, we were so tired. Um, We had passed a couple people that were going out as we were coming in. Um, We were kind of nervous that we weren't going to have the place to ourselves because we knew that the viewpoint was fairly small. So we eventually got in. We scouted around. We got there. I think we started around 10 and we got there around so we had plenty of time to set up camp and even lay down for a little bit um, before we were to shoot sunset and uh you know we were all hurting our feet were killing us we were starving we were thirsty but it was really 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 windy and you're on this little uh, slick rock shelf and the only thing that we could find were like these clusters of sandstone that i was smashing on the ground to break up into like boulder sized pieces that we could that we could tie the tent to to stake it down essentially unless you guys were anchoring it it was going somewhere yeah for sure it was brutal um and eventually the wind the wind let up um and we were able to shoot sunset which sunset ended up being um a dud uh, because all the clouds cleared out well that's okay Um, for your astro i guess yeah which was great because the whole 
the you know premise for me being there was to be able to shoot this Milky Way panorama over the canyon. Yeah. So this trip was pretty much a harrowing energy like crazy burnout kind of hike, kind of crazy camping, difficulty conditions. But when it comes to the photography, I mean, what a beautiful spot. I mean, how did you plan oh, your composition? Yeah. Did you have an easy time finding where to stand because it's just a no-brainer? No. There's a lot of different places that you can shoot from, um, but you, I didn't really know that when I was there. You know, I was looking for something interesting in the foreground, um, mm. and there's kind of nothing. There's, there's one little tiny bush um, that I ended up using in my sunrise shot. Um, I found this little tiny scraggly juniper really? thing. Really? in the foreground. Um, we're looking at the map right now and we're checking it out on Google Maps and we don't see there's any life. There's actually some scrub life, huh? Well, one. Just tiny, like one tiny little bush <laughs> about this big. Gotcha. Um, and Lacey and I, we joked the whole way in, we joked about um, taking one of the big like uh, teddy bear cactuses, I call them. They're like Is maybe a foot. Uh, they're maybe like a foot and a half tall, the big ones, and they're about that big around, but mm. they have like one, one big pink flower on the top of oh, them. Oh, that's cool, yeah. But they're everywhere out there, and we passed hundreds of them, and I was like, oh, I should just go dig one up, and I'll just plop it on there, and then have everyone that's ever been to Reflection Canyon be like, hey, there's no cactuses there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I think uh, it's a prickly pear maybe. Is that what it is? Uh, no, it's not the prickly pear because we've got those here, mm. and those are the ones that kind of have like the oval-shaped. Um, yeah, and they're flatter. Flat, yeah, right? they're yeah. flat. These ones are tall and they're round and they're just oh, like just barrel cactus. Barrel, yeah, exactly, yeah. a barrel okay. cactus. Okay. Yep, yep, barrel cactus. Sorry. Cool. Um, I grew up in Arizona, so I know. I know he knows his cacti. cacti. <laughs> he knows yeah. his cacti and rattlesnakes. Uh, uh, I walked around trying to kill myself the whole time I was there. But I've seen other images um, from my friend uh, Kevin uh, Rojo from. I think he's from Arizona, but he's got some pictures from Reflection Canyon where he's actually got like little flowers that he found in the cracks. But I think mm. he went up above. I think he he backtracked and went up on top because when you're actually at the viewpoint, your back is to like the face of this much taller um, slick rock hump. And oh. I think he was I think he was up above, and there may be some more stuff up above. But oh. I just kind of I kind of just scurried down to this little lull and there's kind of like a ravine to your left and that's where i ended up shooting the panorama from because i really wanted mm. you to be able to see the bottom of the s curve trailing out to the left side of the frame yeah yeah it's really and cool. that would that was really kind of the only place that you could get close enough to the edge because it was more of a steep drop off so that was the only place that i could get to to where i could actually see that s curve um yeah, as I'm so, looking at this, the way the water level is, too, you're pretty much going to have a different image than I'll get next year just because who knows what level of water I'm going to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I actually thought that they were going to be draining Lake Powell into Lake Mead. Their, their plans hmm. to do that? That's what I heard, and that was months ago I heard they were going to be doing that. Uh, huh, I hope that they don't go through with it. How much of a drain were we talking like just I'm a not couple sure. of feet, couple meters. Uh, I really don't know. All Lake Powell is going to be a canyon of dust. I, mean, I doubt that. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe that they would do something like that. But you guys would would laugh at how many people said that. Oh, like I wouldn't waste my time going there. The water level's too high. The images will look like crap. And I was like, you know what? Like this place is still cool, and it's still an achievement to get there. Right. If I had my own perfect world i would have preferred the water to be a little bit lower but i'm not complaining because i'll never go back you'll never mm. do that 10 mile hike. never again. will i do that hike again <laughs> but i'll tell you what i'll tell you what when i hiked up to lake blanche mm -hmm. have you guys been there we were planning on going to sundial peak and lake blanche this year but yeah. we didn't make it last that September, is the most brutal hike i have ever been on that's motivating me to not try it this I would close do, to my house too and I'm just like I haven't been up there yet I need to go up I there. would do Reflection Canyon three more times before I did Lake Blanche no way really oh now do you a, think Lake, Lake Blanche would be easier if it was um, covered in snow if I just had snowshoes no it's 3,000 feet of elevation gain in less than three miles so you're saying a ladder would be necessary? So you literally, you're literally hiking at a 45 degree grade the whole time, Patrick. The whole oh. time, and it's not, and it's not smooth. I mean, there are parts right. where you're like boulder, you're like bouldering. Like when we were hiking out at 9 a.m., it was 90 degrees already, and there were people hiking in with babies and papooses. And I'm like, what are you people with no water? I'm like, what are you doing? Like you're no. gonna die up there. So we'll find their bones when we finally go. Yeah, yeah, you will. And then like I got 
you know, we were like two thirds of the way to the top and I had not checked the GPS and I didn't know how far away we were. And I was like, you know, we have to be close, but I still couldn't even see Sundial Peak. So I was like, eh. I started to check the GPS and I was like, we're only like halfway there. And oh my gosh. We ended up getting like three quarters of the way and my legs cramped so bad that I couldn't walk. And I had to sit down for like 30 minutes and massage my legs so that I could walk again. And I was Holy chewing cow. on the high, you know, the hydration tabs that you put in your water. I've never done it, but yeah, I was chewing on them. I was eating them to try to get electrolytes um, pumping so that I could get rid of the cramps. It's the electrolytes, man. You need electrolytes. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> so you're saying this is for Lake Blanche, not Reflection Canyon, though. Yeah. No, no. Uh, I took some. Uh, lactic acid pills that jesse had for reflection canyon because it's just such a long hike and my pack weighed about 75 pounds um yeah and you had in reflection canyon tons of water did you do the same thing for lake blanche uh i just took uh three liters of water to lake blanche with me Hmm. Uh, i did not expect it to be as grueling as it was that's nuts but i had i had enough water to get there and enough water to get back. Actually, I think I took three. I think I took both my hydration packs. So I had a three liter and a two and a half liter. Okay. So, wow. I, yeah. And I think oh. I barely, I think I ran out of water about a mile from the bottom of the trail on the way out. <laughs> so, so near death. Near death. Yeah. I would have died for sure Jeez. had I ran out. But there were so many people up there. Like to get my shot, um, I had to wait for hours for the people that were camping across the lake in their hammocks to turn off their flashlights so that I could just get a shot with no lights. <laughs> Love those people. Yeah, it's a. I could not believe how busy that place was for being such a tough hike. But the people in Salt Lake just must be a lot tougher than I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll Gotta say give yes credit for that. that. <laughs> yeah, but Reflection Canyon was fun, man. I I definitely recommend it to anybody that you know wants to wants to challenge themselves. We're one of those, and it's going to be a photog adventure. But it might be the one where Brendan shows my death. Because I'm the <laughs> epitome of great shape right now, as I've gained 30 pounds since 2015, thanks to two hernias and a lot of oh, man. a lot of fun at the desk and my desk job. And then I come home and do my desk projects, and then I go to sleep. <laughs> it's like oh gosh, no sleep. Yeah, so out start uh, start training for it, man. Yeah. Grab a heavy pack. Grab a heavy pack and just start hitting some hikes. I um, I know that this year is the kind of a waste, but next year, starting here towards the end of the year, I am going to be working out. So I'm gonna get ready for that. Yeah. Now, by yeah, April, will I be ready? I could. It's mostly flat. I mean, it's it's not like you know, just kind of the initial part. You're kind of doing some up and down for yeah. maybe a mile, maybe a mile and a half um, until you find the trail. But then it's just pretty much a walk you know mm. you're pretty much just walking for hours and hours and hours and um <laughs> dang i'll uh that doesn't sound very good to me <laughs> like walking i'll hours. end up i'll i'll grab i'll grab the the waypoints from jesse because he tracked our whole progress yes. oh, cool. Cool. please do I'll send, be you, golden. I'll send you guys that file so you can find the the watering holes and stuff in the spring and you'll That'd definitely cool. want to take like a water filter and stuff so you can yes filter yeah. some more water Filter cool. my urine. That's what I'll be doing. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> bear, bear grills style. Drink, <laughs> drinking urine out of a rattlesnake skin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll be catching lizards and biting their heads <laughs> off within seconds. <laughs> Got the nutrients. Yeah. I think I had a joke. I I had seen somebody that uh, from from one of the Utah photographers made a post some long drawn out <laughs> saga saga that he he hiked miles and miles and miles to find this place in the desert so I made a joke when I posted the image I think and it was like oh I wandered through the desert for seven days feasting on lizards and drinking my own <laughs> urine until I found this place and, <laughs> uh, that's just funny and those who had been there but, would be like yeah I know what he's talking about, <laughs> he's talking about. <laughs> so you would never do a reflection canyon again you would do Lake reflection canyon three more times before you'd ever do Lake Blanche again but yeah. do you have a place that you've gone recently that you loved going as a landscape photographer we talked about milky way photography so far what about landscape photography do you have a place that you love being or have recently gone to that you loved a lot yeah so i mean i find myself in the hanksville area a lot uh, interesting because i love that spot between capitol mm -hmm. reef and going up to goblin valley what do you like about it um i factory butte? i just yeah so i end up in the factory butte area a lot and i've i've got um i have this inane Kind of 
passion for shooting these abstracty dune images and um mm. there's the north and south caneville mesa just has a lot to offer for abstract scenes you know the light there is always changing and um factory butte's really cool the road there's actually a road the coal mine road that goes around factory butte and actually a back way into goblin valley um there's some really interesting stuff back there if you've got a four-wheel drive mm. um goblin valley is really cool goblin valley is really cool and i actually uh yeah, procured really my cool. i procured my permits to teach uh workshops there so i've been down there a couple times um in the last couple months and um, I've got one of my my favorite personal images um, is from Goblin Valley. Nice. Yeah, that whole area, the whole Colorado Plateau and the swell down there is really cool. Yeah, it's, it's just, just a, beautiful. There, there's a lot to explore. There's some more slot canyons I'd like to to see down there, like Leprechaun Canyon. I've done Happy Canyon, which is down there, and that's that's a Navajo sandstone canyon, kind of like Antelope. Mm. Um, but that was another really really scary drive and a really 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 brutal hike. Hmm. but uh <laughs> a lot of yeah, scary think, brutal hikes apparently are your pattern yeah it seems like there is a trend um, <laughs> but i i think you know to be honest i really have been enjoying spending time up in colorado i went up there for the fall last year and then this last weekend um you know driving up there and hanging out at nine thousand feet for the weekend and it being you know 70 during the day and 45 at night um oh. That's my kind of weather. Like that's I could live in that weather forever. And um, so I've I had a meeting with the uh, the Tourism Bureau of Colorado while I was up there to talk about you know doing workshops and stuff like that in the different areas. And um, I will be back there like the weekend after my photo pill seminar, the weekend after that, the first weekend of October and then the second week of October. So I'll be in Colorado for like a month straight <laughs> oh, wow. pretty much. But uh sweet. Yeah, so I really just love it up there. You know, I'm really getting more into mountain scenes and just being around mountains because until I moved to Utah, I had never seen a real mountain. Right, right. That's a good point. I mean, New York has some hills that you can be proud of, yeah. but but not mountains. Yeah, um, and even in even, Phoenix, we think there's mountains, and then we come here and we're just like, holy cow, these are mountains. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> just landing in Salt Lake, landing in Salt Lake and driving out to Moab when we came on vacation last year, seeing the Uintas and the Wasatch Ugh, Mountains, yeah. I was like, oh, my God. I was like, <laughs> yeah. this is amazing. Just the transition from Salt Lake all the way out to that area is just awesome biomes, <sighs> different yeah. crazy yeah. cool areas. Well, this beautiful area in Utah, you completely get that. And I know that you're out here doing Milky Way photography all the time, too. I mean, the landscape's beautiful. You've already mentioned Reflection Canyon, the stories out there. When you went to Lake Blanche, the first thing you thought of, well, maybe not the first thing. You probably did the sunset first. But then you thought, I need an astro shot. I need a Milky Way shot. And your Milky Way shot that came out of that was beautiful. So let's talk a little bit about your Milky Way photography process. I know already that you do stacking a lot. So let's talk about the process that you use stacking. What's the software that you use? The software that I use on my Mac is Star Landscape Stacker. So first question I ask you is when you go into an approach of taking stacked images, you know you're going to go back to Star Landscape Stacker and stack everything. Do you do anything different in your photography of the scene that you wouldn't do if you're doing a single image? So say a single image shot, you do this, and you know you're going to stack, you're going to expose this way. What are the differences, if any? Yeah, so one of the, the questions I always get asked about stacking is, do you turn off long ISO or long exposure noise mm -hmm. reduction in camera? And the answer is absolutely yes. Right. And, and the, reason for, the reason for that is you want the shortest amount of time between frames that you can possibly achieve so that the the rotation of the earth is is a much shorter span of time when you stack the images yeah. the software it, the software is not going to struggle as hard to align all the stars and warp the frames stretch the frames and rotate the frames because um, if you've ever tried to, to align and stack manually in Photoshop, oh yeah, I have. You understand, you understand the amount of work that the software mm. is doing for you. Mm -hmm. So anything you can do to alleviate some of that that uh, that movement and rotation, the better. Okay, so, so first thing is just take uh, your shots quickly in quick succession. If you're taking ten or forty, you're just going to do it quickly. Yeah. When I'm gonna, when I know I'm going to stack a sky. 
I will turn my ISO to some crazy number, like ISO 10,000 is usually my baseline. Um, so let me interrupt you. you. When you stack, you go extra high on your ISO. Yeah, so that I can shorten my shutter speed. Mm, okay. Because I know that when I stack, you know, if I stack 10 frames, if I stack 13 frames, that that noise is going to be gone at ISO 10,000. And I know that just from doing it a bunch of times. And I shoot with the D810. And my baseline settings for when I stack a sky, and this is only for the sky portion, is I will raise the ISO to ISO 10,000. I will always shoot at F2.8. And I will always have a shutter speed of 10, 13, or 15 seconds, depending on the light pollution, depending on uh, how much air glow is there, how much atmospheric light from the moon is there. Um, but baseline, ISO 10,000, F2.8, and about 15 seconds is a good number for a shutter speed. Okay, awesome. And I'll rattle, I'll ra I'll rattle off. My my number for stacking is about 10. Um, I've stacked as few images as eight, and the difference between eight frames and 10 frames is almost negligible. Um, but lately, I've if I can get away with it, I've been stacking like 13 images. Um, I know people that stack 20 images. I know people that stack 40 images. Right. Um, for me, my taste, I, uh, 13, 13 is a good number for me. And um, do you keep that same number for the landscape as well? Are you doing it all in one shot, or are you trying to do different stacks for landscape and sky? So me, personally, I will do different settings in different numbers for my foreground. Okay. And even though in Starry Landscape Stacker, when it, it will give you the option of masking out just your sky portion. Yeah. And then it will also stack the static portions of your image, the parts of the image that are not moving. Star mm. So, yeah. and so yeah. you, so starry landscape stacker will do it all for you. If you want to take the time to be really tedious um, with the masking option mm -hmm. that you have in mm -hmm. Starry Landscape mm -hmm. Stacker. I'm, I'm a little bit more comfortable um, using my Wacom tablet in Photoshop with quick selections or luminosity masks to where I want to do the masking portion um, in more detail in Lightroom, or I'm sorry, in Photoshop. So because I'm going to do that, I'll usually ramp up the ISO and shorten my exposure for the sky. But if I know that I'm going to stack the foreground... I will usually say 30 seconds so I don't have to calculate an exposure. I'll cut my ISO in half, ISO 5000, and I'll shoot for 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And because I've lowered my ISO, but I'm still achieving the same overall exposure value, I'll only stack eight or nine or 10 images for the foreground. Okay. The reason that I will do this and I'll lower the ISO is because if you've ever tried to raise the shadows in an ISO 10,000 image, mm. uh, you'll notice that the color noise and the artifacting and just the noise in general it gets really is bad. horrifying. Yeah. Really yeah. bad. Even when you stack it, um, you know, when you stack something that's already black, you can't really recover it even when you stack it. Mm. So Yeah, so step two is, um, let me summarize it for everyone listening. The first one was take as many shots as you can. Take all of your shots, whatever shots you're taking, whatever number you're taking quickly. And the second thing is go really high for your ISO and go low shutter so you can take as quick a shots as you can. And 13 is a good number and a good average. And then for the foreground, it's different than that because you're going to go in a lower ISO, something to keep the noise down. So, so those longer are, exposure, yeah. Yeah, longer exposure. Yeah. That's what you're saying, right? Yeah. Cool. Yep. And there's been times there's been times where I've calculated like a ten minute exposure. I've used photo pills, I've gone into my exposure calculation pill and I've, you know, pumped in there. I want to go two stops brighter and I'll calculate an eight or a ten minute exposure awesome. and I'll just shoot a single exposure. But one of the things I found in in particular, I didn't never notice this until I was at Lake Blanche shooting the Milky Way. I took a 10 minute exposure for the foreground and I realized when I reviewed the image on the back of the camera that I had lost all contrast, that all the shadow detail hmm. that I was, oh. or all the shadows, all the shadows that I was getting in the shorter ISO 10,000 exposures yeah. was gone and I didn't like that. Mm. And then I realized, I, so I, I did what I just said and I, I uh, 
slowed my shutter speed down to 30 seconds and I cut my ISO down to 5,000 and I took a shot and the noise was less than the ISO 10,000 image, obviously. But what I liked about it was that it had the shadows is that the, the light pollution I was getting from Salt Lake was actually casting some shadows <laughs> on on the background and it was also casting some nice light on the sundial peak. Yeah. And when I took a really long exposure, all of that was gone. It was just flat. There was no depth. There was no texture. Interesting. It was just flat. Huh. So I never actually ended up looking back at the ten minute exposure in Lightroom to see if it was just something I was seeing on the back of the uh-huh. camera that wasn't really there. But I ended up choosing to take 10 30 second exposures um and stacking the foreground for noise reduction and i ended up being really happy with the the blend and i ended up being really happy with the end result and actually when i put the sky and the foreground together it actually blended um easier i think than it would have using the single exposure so that's really awesome tip yeah again more work than you know i've i found (laughs) you know going through this with people in my workshops and, and going to doing Skype lessons and stuff that some people just are like, geez, you spend this much time and put that much work in an image. <laughs> and, you know, I tell them, I was like, look, you can just shoot all 10 frames and, and just stack them in starry landscape stacker and export the image and be done yeah. with it. Yeah. You know that. And if you're happy with that, that's fine. You know, your foreground stacked, it's noiseless. You know, you might have to do some, some cloning and some healing on the hot pixels, but if that's what you're cool with and that's what you want, go for it. I mean, it's just not, it's just not me, you know? Yeah, so, I completely understand that. Do you end up with a similar number of images of both of those that you combine in Starry Landscape Stacker somehow? Or do you take the resulted stack, one image of the foreground, resulted stack, one image of the night sky, and then just use your Photoshop masking skills? Yes. So um, in essence, what I do is I will only use Starry Landscape Stacker for the sky portions of my image. Oh. Even though Starry Landscape Stacker does a really good job of stacking your foregrounds uh-huh. just out of habit because I learned this process before I learned stacking in Starry Landscape Stacker, I will stack my foregrounds in Photoshop. So I'll, I'll you know, pre-process all my f- foreground images in Lightroom, bring them all into Photoshop in layers, convert the whole layer stack to a smart object and then use Photoshop smart object blending modes, mm-hmm. stack my foregrounds. Do you use an average um, or a medium to filter yeah, for Yeah, so I use a, a median. Median. Okay. Median stack mode. I don't yeah. see any change. Lonely, lonely. Let me just interrupt you right there because I, I do a median filter all the time with some 10 or 15. There's some that I've done for stacking to try it out and then I see like absolutely no difference in the result. And I don't know what what's missing in my step, I have to practice and play with it more. Are you converting the layer stack to a smart exactly, object? Exactly, I am. I am. I'm following one of the tutorials from Ian Norman on, on his yeah. Lonely I was Spec. In, I was going to suggest the Lonely Spec tutorial. It's a I great think, tutorial. Where I picked that up from. Yeah. 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 So I'm doing all the steps. It's just then I don't see a difference in my foreground noise. I just see sort of the same noise that was there. It's kind of like the 10 images I took had the same exact you know, not necessarily noise, but just the grain. And then when the grains were on top of each other, they didn't have enough differences to average out a smoother version of them. They were just so identical. That's what I'm wondering too, because wow. I had a similar, I actually had a similar experience as well. So maybe we're missing a step. Maybe There's got to be go something. But your step, <laughs> yeah, your step is just to take all those layers you've already pre-processed in Lightroom and you bring them into a smart object. You go to smart object filter or smart object something and then you go over to median and then you apply mm-hmm. it. Yep. It runs a crunch on it and then it outputs something at the end and you see a yeah. difference in your images. Profound. Profound? I, mean, I would have noticed that. So we must like, be missing a step somewhere yeah. because... Mind-blowingly different. Really? Now you're looking yeah, it's a, You're looking at a setting where you have high ISO and you know, low ISO, long exposure on your foreground. So maybe because mm-hmm. mine are typically um, the exposure for the sky stacked images, they're just not enough. I need to try long exposures on the foreground, mm, maybe. lower ISO, and see what happens right. then. Maybe... 
Maybe yeah. maybe try maybe try uh, more foreground images. Maybe you're shooting. What camera are you? A Canon 6D, and I typically get 20 images, and I'm not seeing a friggin' difference. Wow. And so I was excited hmm. to try starting Landscape Stacker to see if I noticed something. So I might have to pay for one of your Skype sessions and let you see what I'm doing and see what you see. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, I had a client um, from Iowa a couple weeks ago with that same camera, and uh, we stacked 10, 10 images from Dead Horse Point, and I, I thought I thought it, his face melted off when I showed him the difference. <laughs> wow. Okay. See, that's what Mark G said when we were talking to him. He's like, I show them the difference. Like, whoa, oh my gosh, you get 20 images. So I just followed his example. Mm. Usually I'll bring in the layer stack um, and I'll dupe, I'll make it a group and I'll duplicate it so that the, the non yeah. um, stacked one is on top and I'll stack the bottom one. And I'm, they're like, what? Nothing happened. And I was like, wait a minute, let me turn it off. <laughs> and, they, and I turn it off and they're like, whoa. Jaw drop. Mm. Yeah, I have not like, had wow, that experience that's... yet. I wonder what's up. Yeah. What's, up? what's wrong with it me? It sounds like. It sounds like you're doing everything right. I don't. I, uh, nothing you said sounded hinky at all. Well, I got a new computer that I can do more extensive work on it without it freezing. And over the next month, I'm going to be trying out a lot of these stacking softwares that I have. Especially Star Landscape Stacker. So I'll report gonna, back to you. I think you're going to have a lot of fun with this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let me know how excited. that goes. Yeah. So then, with your process, um, we know take quick pictures go and do a higher ISO for your sky, lower ISO for your ground. In your process, you'll actually go through Lightroom processing on your ground and bring those images over to Photoshop and stack them together. Do you mess with your sky? You don't mess with your sky images at all before you stack, right? You bring the raws in there or you do. So you Yeah, so I'll uh I'll do basic white balance adjustments right off the bat. I always have kind of this uh basic process that I go through for my skies is I'll always try to neutralize the color cast so i have this little trick i do where i pull up the luminance or not the luminance the uh saturation and hmm. what's the other one uh vibrance what am I thinking? vibrance vibrance, vibrance. Yeah. wow no i hear you yeah I vibrance when I tell vibrance and saturation yeah. all the way up so i'll drag them all the way to 100 percent. it makes the, the image crazy right. but i just do that i just do that so that i can dial in my white balance mm-hmm. and always i always try to find like a balance of um, yellow and blue and green and magenta mm-hmm. so that I don't have an overwhelming color cast in my sky. And that's that's one of the ways that I'm able to then pull out a lot of that natural color in the core of the Milky Way. Mm-hmm. So my first thing is I always neutralize the white balance and then I'll move, remove chromatic aberration. Yeah. yeah. And I'll turn the sharpening off. Right. I, I don't want any sh- I don't want to enhance any of the noise, so I'll always turn sharpening off. And there may be times where I'll just put like three, four, or five points of uh, noise reduction into the into each frame, and then I usually will dial the detail slider down because I found that the detail slider in the luminance portion of Lightroom is what causes some of that muddy, squiggly oh. artifacting that you get. So usually, because I really just want the stars to pop. Yeah. You know, sometimes I feel like there's just too many stars in the sky, and if I just turn that detail slider down slightly, um, it helps with smoothing out some of the negative space in the sky. All oh, right, on. So you do all this processing in Lightroom on your sky images before you bring them into your stacker software. Yep. And I might even go a step further and use like an adjustment brush and just do some contrast and saturation adjustments to the core of the Milky Way. Dodging and burning right there. Yep. Hmm. Just slightly, just a little bit, and I'll do that before stacking, um, only because, you know, you're at the rawest form of that file. You are using, yeah. you're working on a raw file. So the data there is greater, the color data is greater, the light data is greater. I want to enhance what I can Mm, to those Mm -hmm. raw files, to those raw files before I export them and then stack them because, you know, throughout the process, files are degrading, things are compressing. Yep. so I just want to do whatever I can to the raw files when I'm working with them before Man, I export really them. And you really don't mind tedious work because mm. I don't, I do not dodge and burn before I sync all of my changes between images. And the thought of having to dodge and burn 13 unique Milky Ways, or I could sync their dodge and burn and just rotate and move those two brush points to kind of match the other Milky Way yeah. where it's moved to. But that's got to be a mess. I don't do a lot of dodging and burning per se. I'll just use one one brush where I've turned up the saturation and I've turned up the whites down the blacks and added a little bit of contrast. And I'll just go over 
at a low opacity and a low flow kind of the whole Milky so Way. So you brush oh, over the whole thing. You don't pay attention to detailed strokes and all the white points and the black points. No, because I'm going to do uh. I'm going to do I don't I don't care at all what Lightroom says what is pure white and what is pure black. Okay. So, you know, the little keyboard shortcut in Lightroom where, you know, you hold option and you drag your white and black slider so you can see the black point, the, the true black uh -huh. point, mm -hmm. the true white point, I disregard that completely. <laughs> right. Um, I just do not use it because I want to say, well, and also because I trust the brightness of my monitor and I trust the color of my monitor so that I know um, I don't need it to tell me what's black and what's white. So in this case... I'll just brush over the whole Milky Way and then I'll, I'll do two passes. So I'll brush once and then I'll hit new and I'll just brush over it again just slightly. And then when I sync all 13 images, all I have to do is just grab those two brush points and just move them over slightly. Okay, so you do do that. Yeah, because it was because the brush strokes were pretty ambiguous. Yeah. They weren't, you know, I don't really need to worry so much about you know, rotating them and aligning them perfectly with the Milky that Way. That sounds so much general. better than I thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not It's not nearly as tedious as it sounded. I mean, still tedious. <laughs> right. Still tedious, but not that tedious. <laughs> right, right. So then you do actually process them in Lightroom and you export them as a TIFF. TIFF, okay. So you do keep yep. them as a TIFF. So Starry Landscape Stacker will or will not accept a RAW? The new update may accept a RAW file, the problem um, is you can't but export I an edited raw file out of Lightroom. You can export it as a no, DNG. You can only ex as a DNG. Which is pretty close, but still, still not the loss same. of data. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I'm just out of habit. I've always exported it as a full size TIFF. I don't sharpen. So that's the other you know, the other thing um, when you export and you get to the export dialog box in Lightroom is I I the only two things I worry about is where I put my files because I'm extremely organized. <laughs> yeah. And I don't do any sharpening. I don't do any resizing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, so I only focus on file location and file, file type. Okay. And I export as a, I export as a TIFF with no compression and 16 bit depth. So right which is pretty good quality. I mean, TIFFs are pretty oh, amazing yeah. quality. So. It's a huge file. Yeah. Yeah. So then you pull those into Starry Landscape Stacker, and here's where people are going to want to hear information in detail. The actual step of importing them, I haven't seen the Starry Landscape Stacker interface. I don't know if they call them dark frames and light frames like other stacking software does. Mm. I don't know if they ask you to apply a mask right there. You mentioned it before. It sounds like they do. It auto, it auto masks. It auto masks. So, yeah, and yeah, you can so refine it, it from there. Yeah. Importing your, your yeah. finished... You don't even bother your landscape frames, I guess, with Star Landscape Stacker. So you're only importing in your workflow, importing the sky frames. What is the import process for you? So when you open up Light, uh, sorry, Landscape Stacker, it, it actually is pretty great. It, you know, it pops up with a little dialog box to ask if you want to watch a tutorial on how to use the software hmm. right off the okay. bat. It'll only be one dollar um, to see it. Yeah, or <laughs> yeah. ten. Well, when you open up, when you open up. You know, you, you'll go to file, you'll go to open, you'll grab your files, you'll grab the whole stack of files, and it'll it'll start generating um, a blended preview, but not accounting for any of the rotation. It's done no aligning, it's done no stacking, it just shows you an overlay of all of the files you've used, and it'll populate the sky and whatever it thinks is a star in the frame. So... Okay. It's kind. It's kind of hard to pinpoint stars when all you see is streaking stars. So, at the hmm. bottom left of the interface, it gives you the little drop-down box, uh, and it will allow you to choose one or all of the other frames in the stack. So it'll oh. it'll let you choose each file, and you can check to see how good of a job it did dropping those little red dots on the stars. And okay. you can add you can add more stars if it missed one, and you can just kind of go down frame by frame by frame by frame, and add keep adding stars that it'll 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 basically give the or help the software along on aligning those stars. But mm -hmm. I know from I know for me and my D810, um, especially out here on a hot night, I get tons of hot pixels. <laughs> so usually mm -hmm. when I usually when I open my my files in Star Landscape Stacker, I've got a fair amount of red dots that are kind of all over the foreground too. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, so I need to, you know, it gives you the little brush tool where you can remove the red dots and, and basically you just paint them all off of the foreground and you'll hit, what is it, Find Sky? And it'll auto mask 
what it thinks is the sky. Cool. Yeah, it'll always have little spots that it missed and you'll need to take the little brush and you can change the size of the brush and the softness of the brush and you can go around all the edges and, you know, be really, really intricate and, um, and detailed masking around all the little trees or buttes in the background. I've, I've found that the, the most difficult thing to mask around is trees. Mm-hmm. And that's Imagine. the, that's the other reason that sometimes you know, I'll choose to use Photoshop over star landscape stacker for the masking portion, because it's just so hard yeah. um, without mm. to mask around trees. And in Photoshop, you can use luminosity masks and, you know, you can make better selections. So, yeah, you just sit. You, you just sit there and start a landscape stacker, and you take your little pen tool and you you refine the mask, and you keep going over all the edges and zooming in and zooming out and making sure all the stars are selected and that you got everything. And then you just hit align and save. And that's it. I mean, you brought in what thirteen frames of tiffs. You told it to go and process these. It guesses it auto masks for you. You do the red dots th- thing. You fix the mask afterwards, and then align and save. Yeah, and it it'll generate the the composite. The, it'll generate the stacked images, and it'll uh, it'll save or give you the option of saving um, just the sky, just the part that you had masked. Mm. Which in your case, you definitely say yes to, huh? Yeah, I always want that file. And it'll also give you the option of saving the composite image, which is the stacked sky, the stacked and aligned sky with the stacked foreground. Okay. And, and that actually, even though I'm blending um, and I'm not using the foreground portion, um, sometimes I will use the composite part of it in case any there's any misalignment in my foreground frame. Okay. I don't have to be as perfect with my selections and my masking and blending. There can be some overlap. And then you fix that in Photoshop anyway. Yep. Man, we really got in the weeds there with all of the information, the details of Starry Landscape Stacker. I know that I appreciate it. There's a lot of you out there who are considering getting it. And if you don't happen to have a Mac, try Sequator. Rob Ryan on our Facebook listener group can help you out there. He's been testing it out. Mm. I personally am going to test out Starry Landscape Stacker and other options and give you guys a tutorial sometime by the end of this year. I just got to say it that way because it's not going to be something very soon. I will have this information out on our YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. So that's awesome. Thanks, Josh, for all that information. So, Josh, everyone knows you in our Facebook group mostly, but other people on this podcast that don't join us on the Facebook group, how can they find your work, see your stuff, and see your awesome Reflection Canyon image? Uh, so uh, actually, uh, the U.S. Department of Interior just shared that Reflection image today. Really? Um, shared it on yeah, their Instagram? On their Instagram wow. and their Facebook. So nice. that was a huge feature. Um, you can find me on Instagram at j.snow underscore photo and also on Facebook at jsnowphotography. All awesome. right. Awesome. Thanks so much for taking time with us tonight, Josh. Thanks for being a friend of ours already and being on the Facebook channel and the group. We've yeah. seen a lot of your work and we've been very jealous and envious of your lifestyle living down there. <laughs> we always feel cool that we live in Utah until we talk to people who live in like Southern Nathan Utah. St. Andre right there in Southern Utah. Yeah. Jeff Peterson sharing his front door imagery. It's like, oh, I hate you, Jeff. Yeah. yeah. So, Oh, we definitely love it. Thanks so much. And we'll have you on again because we want to talk about more about other situations and other photography that you do. And we only really barely covered the top Scratch of the, the surface. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Goodbye, everybody. And thanks, Joshua, for joining. Thanks, guys, for having me. You got it. All right. We'll see you.